0: is Tim is working on getting the handouts passed out I will share with you I won't read the letter to you but we have an, another letter from Brother Charlie Dietz who is ministering in the jail and uh, this letter is written to the cornerstonians I think he has termed the phrase uh, that we can identify with uh, but what I have quickly noticed in, in reading through the letter um, he's busy and there's individuals that he lists here uh, by name that is uh, that he has an opportunity to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with and so we will place this letter like we have done the others on the bulletin board uh, for you to read so that as you read it you will be challenged and motivated and reminded to pray for him that he will be uh, as God would want him to be, to reach whom he wants to reach, and uh, pray that the Lord be glorified in all that's done. So we certainly appreciate the ministry of Charlie there. Today we will be looking at Psalm 73. Brother Tim was did an excellent job last week in sharing with us from Psalm 103, and the handout has been on my desk all week long and every time I would sit down at my desk I would see this reminder to forget not the benefits that we have in the Lord and how we should be training ourselves to be singing the praises of God through our life reminding us reminding ourselves through the truth of God's Word about how our life should be full of the joy that God provides for us In contrast to that, this morning, we're going to be looking at a psalm that reveals, like so many other psalms do, the vulnerability of the human spirit. Of all the religions in the world, Christianity will do something that none of the others will do. It will promote you to understand who you are as weak. It will remind you who you and who I am as sinners. It will continually fill our hearts with an overwhelming sense of guilt for our sin, but provide for us like no other religion can, hope in something outside of us. And so when we read through some of the Psalms, we will get this intense picture of just how weak even the believer is. As we're reminding ourselves, as we do each week, about a time of confession and pardon, reminding ourselves that, you know what, just because we have repented of our sinfulness and we have placed our trust in the work of Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, we still mess up. We still blow it. And the psalmist will remind us that not so much that that's okay, but that it's real. And so we can come to Psalm 73 with forget not his benefits because the Lord is good and come to verse one and be reminded truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, to those who love the Lord their God with all of their heart and their soul and their strength and their mind, to those who have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, to those who, while they're not perfect in and of themselves, they have been made new where the old things have passed away and behold all the all things are becoming new beginning with a new heart truly god is good to those who are in this category familiar words that jesus even spoke in the sermon on the mountain chapter 5 of matthew where he says blessed are the pure in heart why For they shall see God, both figuratively in this life, seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and then ultimately one day, we in Christ shall see God. And sometimes we know this truth, and sometimes we have sermons preached like we did last Sunday, reminding us of this truth. But you know what? Those crazy circumstances always want to get in the way. We start taking our eyes off the Savior. We start taking our minds away from those things which are above, and we set them on things below And the circumstances can create doubt as to just how good God is now to understand what that means and how that's going to live out in our life we have to sort of ask ourselves a question a really important question what does it mean that God is good perhaps you have known the heartache of seeing people that you love maybe family members friends neighbors people that you work with who have a testimony in which they once love going to church they once loved christianity they once loved their faith but circumstances came into their life where it was hard for them to reconcile the evil and the wickedness that they were seeing and experiencing in this world with the loving caring god newspaper articles have been written about it magazines have had it headlined on the covers about how can God be so good while there is so much evil in this world to the point where they would even dismiss the existence of God. So what does it mean when we say that God is good? Does it mean that there won't be any pain in life? Does it mean that we'll be healthy and we'll be prosperous in this life? Does it mean when God is good that we will not experience any trouble in life? Does it mean that we won't be stricken in this life? Now, we all know the the pious answers to that, right? All know through all the circumstances, through all the turmoil, through all the problems in life, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. But we take our eyes off this good God from time to time. And we find ourselves like the psalmist. And we begin to question God's goodness when we start envying the wicked. Verse 2, the psalmist says, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped for i was envious of the arrogant when i saw the prosperity of the wicked can you relate to that you know god's good the bible tells me that god is good i believe god is good i start looking around and watching people who could care less of, couldn't care less about God and see how they prosper in this world and like what? How can that be? I thought God was good to Israel, to those who were pure in heart. For the wicked, they have no pains. In other words, they literally have no cords tightly drawn around them until death. Their bodies are fat, which that comes from a Hebrew word that really means healthy without disease. It doesn't really mean obese or else it would conflict with the next word and sleek. It's kind of hard to be, right? It's it's kind of hard to be one and the same. But you do understand that what he's saying that when I look at the wicked, Those who aren't pure in heart, the ones who could not care less about God, who who have no clue about what the cross is all about, much less relating to it. I see them going through life and they don't have any issues. They're not troubled as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Ladies, you accessorize your... Your outfits, and the more special the occasion, the more accessorizing that you do. It's what you want people to notice. It draws attention, right? And to the wicked, they want people to be drawn to the fact of their arrogance and their pride. They want you to know that the life that they are living that you start to, in your flesh, start to envy is all about them. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. In other words, they are so healthy, their face is so full that it makes their eyes bulge out. Figuratively speaking, of course. Their hearts overflow with folly. One commentator said this literally means they have more than their hearts could wish for. They scoff. They speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven. Literally, that means they talk as if they were in heaven as the sovereign speaking. This is the extent to how far their arrogance goes. Do you know anybody who speaks like their God? Have <laughs> you listened to anybody on the news that it's all about them or what they say goes? Perhaps you've been into a doctor's office and you came out thinking, man, what does he think? He's God. You may have spoken to an attorney, think, what do they think they know everything? And on and on and on we could go and make examples of, of individuals and and positions in which we get this misconception that these things are all that. Their tongue struts through the earth. What a picture. What a picture. And we become envious. Because they're living as if they're God. Yet they don't care anything about God. How can God be good? The psalmist says therefore even his people speaking about God's people they turn back to them they turn back to the ones who are wicked the ones who are evil and they find no fault in them that's the ESV this is a very difficult phrase. as indicated by the number of different ways each translation that you could possibly read on this verse indicates. But literally it comes from a word that throughout the rest of the Old Testament means being wrung out. Like, you know, if you're washing clothes the old fashioned way and you're you know, wringing out the, 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 the water out of the clothes so that you can get them to dry. That's what this term means, to be wrung out. So I think what this picture is, is that God's people... Take their eyes off God and his goodness. And they start looking at how the the wicked person is prospering in life. And they start to go after it to the point where they're being wrung out. They know it's not right, but they're being wrung out with their life. And they say, verse 11, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Because, after all, isn't that the life we're after? Isn't that our best life now? Isn't God good to His people? Shouldn't we be the ones prospering? Shouldn't we be the ones who are healthy? Shouldn't we be the ones who have what we want? Shouldn't we be the people that everybody aspires to be like? Isn't that what God is good means? Well, again, you might know the pious answer to that and say, "Oh no, no, that's not really the Because I, we humble ourselves, we allow God to exalt us. That's what the scriptures say. But down deep inside, in the flesh. Man, I would love to be Tom Brady. Man, I would love to be the president of the United States. Man, I would like to be that glamorous star who is constantly revealing everything that's going on in life. It's appealing and fun. Full of life. Doesn't God know that the people who get to live that lifestyle are wicked? Apparently not. Because, behold, all in vain, verse 13. Incredible how we can be as human beings. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. I look at the people who are prospering. They hate God. I look at my life. I I go through all the ordeals. I go to church every Sunday. I pray every day. I read through the Bible in a year. and I'm sick. People don't respect me. My car is 25 years old. My house is on that side of town. What gives? I mean, we we take our eyes off Christ. For just a moment and it's not long before we're back in Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent is saying did God really say that doesn't does God really have your best interest in mind because if you if you were to eat of that fruit don't you understand you'd be as smart as he is what God really doesn't care about you and there we are back in the garden scratching our head thinking about does God have a clue that these people are actually able to live it up and they are not giving him any attention, yet all the while, I'm over here living for Jesus, abstaining from things that the rest of the world is enjoying, doing things that the world would never embarrass themselves to do, and I'm having a hard time even just making the mortgage payment. I'm having a difficult time making ends meet. I can't stay out of the doctor's office. Is God really good? You see, we have to be careful of that, what I would call, if this isn't a term, I would be happy to copyright it, the Facebook syndrome. Now I'm saying that as someone who has thankfully been able to abstain from that sin of social media say that with tongue in cheek fixed but what I've heard about and what I have been shown in this world of social media rarely ever shows life as it really is right I mean how many times do you take the picture to make sure that's the one that you want showing on your you know Homepage. i I don't know what that's called because i'm again i'm i'm barely pc literate so I'm, i'm not sure but the first thing that shows up when you dial up somebody on your phone how long did it take them to get that picture just right and when you share what you did over the christmas holiday how many how many pictures did you leave out how many arguments on the way over to grandmother's house did you not talk about on your facebook post or how many instagram so I'm really getting. I'm, I'm deep over to my. I'm, sorry, I'm going to just stop. You get the picture, though, right? Everybody wants to show you the best. Everybody wants to show you the tip of the iceberg. And while we look at all of this going around in the world, and we see on television and we see on the internet and we see through social media and we see through all other types of media and we see at the, at the large stadiums being filled and we watch it, all of the concert uh, agendas going on as we see all of this stuff happening. And we're convinced that that's a prosperous, great life and God was really good. That's what I would have. If we're honest with ourselves, you really don't have to look that hard to see that it's all a mirage. It's all fake. You can even take any rock and roll music group and if you listen to enough of their songs, the ones not necessarily the ones that they play on the radio, but sometimes it can be even that a front, But you start listening to how many songs that were written in the 70s and the 80s in which I was growing up in which there were songs about suicide. The dismay of the human spirit of finding nothing in this world worth living for. And you couple that with the real news items in which you see people that have just completely wasted their life. People that you may have been quick to hear about 10 years ago that they're nowhere to be seen today because they have lost it. But yet we still keep looking because there's still someone that's going to be out there that's going to be living a life that I could Just be like that. If I could just get to where they are. Even as God's people who know God is truly good to those who are pure heart. We can see through it. The Spirit's willing. Oh, how weak the flesh is. So the monumental declaration, this fundamental assertion that we make of God's goodness, is now vain. God's people are in such delusion, watching the wicked prosper that they fall. God's knowledge is brought into question as well as the seemingly empty pursuit with a clean heart. What's the point? Well, verse 15 is an incredible turning point. If I had said I will speak thus, in other words, if I was to say everything that I just said in verses 2 through 14, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What a showstopper. The one, seemingly one thing that kept the psalmist from absolutely going AWOL on God, losing his faith, was what he understood what the consequences consequences would be for the generation to follow after him if he was to do so christian let me ask you a question this morning how concerned are you about the coming generation is it to the point where you're willing to make sure you do not lose your faith Are you so concerned of your children and their peers and the generations to come after that? Should Jesus Christ not come back in their lifetime? Are you so concerned about their faith that you want to make sure you hold fast to yours? Because it's easy for us to give up. What keeps you from giving up? Is it embarrassment? You'll make your family look bad if you if you go the wrong way. It's because you sort of feel guilty that you know well so many people invested their life in me. I don't I don't want to make them feel bad. What what is it that motivates you and keeps you from giving up? Well, for the Thomas it was because he said you know what if, if I went that direction, then what are my kids going to say? I think that's pretty good motivation. I think that we as adults should be very concerned about what, what will our kids think if we go the opposite direction? What will our kids do if they see us following after the world? What will our children do? What will their life produce if all that they see in us is, well, why can't I have what the world, wicked people have? However, in verse 16, we're reminded about our humanity but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed like a wearisome task. Man, I get to the point where I can I see the reality for what it is, but how in the world do I make sense out of all of this? This is wearing me out just thinking about it. Not to mention the stress and the anxiety that I'm experiencing trying to live, you know, swimming upstream in this world you see, our perspectives will be corrected when we consider just how good God is. He said it was the wearisome of tasks until what? Until it went back to the sanctuary of God. Now for, for the psalmists, literally, that would have been in the temple. That would have been a place of worship, that would have been a place of prayer. That would have been a place of learning the Word of God. Cornerstonians, if I can use Charlie's word here, is that what this church is for you? As an elder of this church, I really, really hope it is. I hope that whatever you had going on this past week, whatever's tripped you up, whatever sin, that continually seems to get in your way. I hope that there's something in your spirit that says, "Ah, I need to get back to church. Not because they're going to check my name off. Not so that I can vote the next conference meeting. But I need to be reminded about reality, about how good God is. that of all the things that you can look forward to and count on being found here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, I hope that one of them, you know what, they keep talking about how good God is. They keep reminding me about how good God is in spite of all the things that challenge that in my life, those obstacles and all the, the mental blocks that I have in my life that keep me from believing I know that when I get back to church, that when I sit in CGG and when I sit in the prayer group and when I get in to listen to someone preach from the word of God, that I'm going to be reminded about how good God is. That's our message. Until I went, it, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned therein. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by tears, like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. There is judgment coming to the wicked. And if you're listening to me say that this this morning, Please understand, if you are not pure in heart, if you are not in Christ, if you have not repented of your sinfulness and found that Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross as a payment for your sin, suffering for the wrath of God on your life that you deserve and that the power that raised him from the grave has made you a new creation in him, then you will be judged as well. You are facing the same torment that these wicked being described in Psalm 73 are facing. But God is good. That even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's good. How can that be? That I should gain an interest in the Savior's love? Died he for me? Who calls his bane? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? There's a day of judgment coming. But God is good. When my soul, verse 21, was embittered. When I was pricked in heart, in other words, when I was when I was convicted, one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us is his people, is conviction. It causes us to wake up to our sin. It causes us to wake up to who we are apart from Christ. It causes us to realize that we need a Savior. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish, I was foolish, I was ignorant. I was like a beast towards God. I was nothing more reasonable than an animal. When I'm in my sin, here's the good part. If you want to underline in your Bible, when is it that we find out how God is good? You could do it in this one word. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. I am continually with you. You notice that the psalmist doesn't say, God, you are continually with me, which is true. But even when I was acting like a foolish, ignorant animal in my sin, nevertheless, we are with him. I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Glory. As we were singing, he will hold me fast. His promises, they will last. They will. He's faithful. And here's a promise that God reminds us of Hebrews chapter 13, be content with what you have. Don't look at the others. Don't look at the wicked. Don't look at their prosperity. Don't look at their life without problems. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Why? Because I am always with him. This is where we find out where God is good, when we're with him. Not because I'm healthy, which we praise the Lord for that when we are. Not because I do have the resources to make a living, even though we pray for the Lord for that when we can. Not because I have good relationships and I have all types of experiences or I may have been exposed to certain types of good education. But we find out that God is good when we can say, I am continually with you. Either here in this life or afterward when he will receive me to glory. See, that would help us do what Paul tells us to do in Colossians chapter 3. To set our minds on things above. Remembering that he is with me and I am continual with him in this life because his spirit dwells within me, but also because there's coming a day when he will bring me to glory. You see in verse 26 another, or verse 25 rather, "Whom have I in heaven beside you? Do you need anybody else? (laughs) Do you? Do you need anyone else? Well, you know, it is sometimes good to have a good, you know, person whose expertise is over here. And it's always good to have somebody who knows a little bit about this over there. It's always good to have somebody who has this and they're always willing to share. Now, who do you have in heaven besides God? And let me just sort of give you a tip. If you have something else other than God, you don't have God. God doesn't share. God is a jealous God. God doesn't say, you know what, I'll take you one and a half days a week and the other five and a half days, go live it up. Jesus doesn't say if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be one who will inherit the kingdom of God, then you take up your cross on Sunday for a few hours and you move on your own happy way the rest of the week. Mm -mm. You can't serve God in this world at the same time because you're either going to love the one and despise the other or you will hate the one and cling to the other. There's no riding two different skateboards down the street, unless you're really talented and then you're still subject to a lot of injury there. I'd be subject to injury regardless, but that's beside the point, but you either have God or you don't, who am I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth, this is hard, I'm glad the psalmist said it, and I can just read it, because it's hard for me to even do that, that I desire, besides you, (laughs) oh, let me take out a piece of paper, I could make you a list of things that I desire. Because my flesh and my heart fail. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever experienced your heart and your flesh failing? All the time. god is good why but god but god is the strength of my heart and my portion forever you see he will hold me fast he will for behold those who are far from you shall perish. You're either near him continually or you are far from him. And if you are far from God, you shall perish. God will put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. All that stuff going on out in the world, it's headed for destruction. The apostle John, his children do not love the world for the world is passing away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All these things are just things that you see and they're out to fool you. They'll perish. He's putting an end to everyone who is unfaithful to him. But for me, but for me, it is good to be near God. Buddy, you're not lying, are you? It is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. It's so, it's so good to be near to God, I just plant myself right next to Him. A mighty... Fortress is my God. Why? That I may tell of all your works. (laughs) Not so that I can get close to God and when he sees me actually doing him some favors, he's going to say, you know what? After all that time, I want to give you a little bit about the wicked wickedness. I'm going to let you enjoy the world like they're enjoying it because you're really showing yourself you want to be near to me. No! I want to be close to God. I'm going to make him my refuge so that I can tell people about what he does. So I can tell people about what he's done and oh, how I can tell people about what he's going to do. You remember verse 15? If I I had talked like I did in verses 2 through 14, then I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But you know, now that I understand and I'm reminded about how good God is and how I want to be near him and how I want him to be my refuge, I'm doing that so that I can do what? So that I may tell of all your works. That may help us keep from being distracted by all the stuff that we see in the world. If we spend as much time about talking about what God is doing in our life as much as what we see the devil doing in the life of other people, we may be looking forward to that day of glory even more than we were before. We may be looking at God as being a more strong refuge. We may be looking at him as being the one who I really want to be close to. So I ask you this morning, number one, Are you pure in heart today? Or are you the wicked? Understanding that the pure in heart are only that way because God has been gracious enough to open their eyes to see that He's God. They're not. And we humble ourselves before Him, repent of our sins, and trust the work that Jesus Christ did on our behalf to save us. That's how we become pure in heart. It's not because of what we do, it's because of what He does or are you the ones who are far from god and are wicked i encourage you to think about that really seriously today because there is coming a day in which he's going to take what seems to be prospering today what seems to be the cool and the latest thing what seems to be what everybody else wants and everybody wants to be and everybody wants to have that's all going away it's smoke there's coming a day of judgment upon that forever But would you be near to him today? Would you see him as being the only delightful thing that what do I have in heaven besides you? And what on earth do I desire besides you? Letting God become the most important thing, the person of Jesus Christ, transforming your life to saying, you know what, my life is his. Because he's good. He is really good. Don't let the world deceive you. Take a moment and stop and say, what are the consequences? If if I was to pursue a life apart from what God has shown me to be truth in his word, what would that do to the generations to come? I want to tell of his good work, so let me be near to him. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, you have been Kind to us to give us these minutes to, to just pay attention to your word. You didn't need to do that. You didn't have to do that. But you wanted to do that. You could have let us go on to a number of different pursuits in this day. We could, we could be enjoying the creation that you have blessed us with with the health and strength that you've given us to do so many different things today. But Lord, in your sovereign providence, you have brought us here so that we could hear what a Levitical choir leader would lead the songs in the temple to sing about the dangers of envying this world and the goodness and the blessing that is in being close to you. Father, may your spirit do what only you can do. I can't do it. We can't do it ourselves. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, applying your truth, showing us where we need to change our lives to, to make room for your truth, where we need to make adjustments to live according to your truth, that we might have our hope and our faith placed in something that will never, ever pass away. That is your word. Help us, Lord, today. Help us to to honor you and how we live our life, how we receive your word, how we live it. And we ask that you would help us to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim.